The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Patricia Raskin, and I'm particularly honored, really truly honored today to have on someone I admire who I think has helped millions of people. Her name is Marianne Williamson, and she is an internationally acclaimed author and lecturer. Six of her ten published books have been New York Times bestsellers. Her books include A Return to Love, A Year of Miracles, The Law of Divine Compensation, and, and many others. She's been a popular guest on television programs such as Oprah, Good Morning America, and Charlie Rose. And today we're talking about her brand new book, Hot Off the Press, Tears to Triumph, The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment. Welcome, Marianne. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm very excited about this. Tell us about the title. What does... what why that title and what you're trying to say? <clears throat> well, it's a bit of a double entendre. Mm-hmm. On one hand, it talks of a journey that we take from tears to triumph. But also, there's no from tears to triumph because tears to triumph, sometimes we shed those tears in order to triumph. One of the basic themes of the book is how important it is to give ourselves permission to be sad when we're sad. You know, something's happened in our society where we've made it wrong. You know, we, we take a cheap yellow smiley face and pour it over everything. Be happy, be happy. Like there's something wrong with you if you're sad. But I, I quote from a, a poem by Rilke in the, in the introduction to the book where he talks about let us not squander the hours of our pain and that sadness is sometimes a season in our inner year. You know, if if you went through a bitter divorce or someone you love died or you had a professional failure or financial loss, being sad is not a dysfunctional reaction to those things. But at the same time, they're not a mental illness either. So it's very concerning to me and I think to mm-hmm. many people the way we have medicalized normal human despair yeah. over the last couple of decades. Well, I, I so think I the think other... a... Go ahead. I'm sorry? No, I was just going to say what I think is interesting. What I think is interesting is people will talk about despair, and it's it seems to be socially acceptable if someone's passed, right, or if you hurt yourself. But to put on Facebook, and I see people saying on Facebook, "My mother just died. My father just died. I'm so sad. I can't even get up in the morning." That's acceptable, Marianne, but it doesn't seem to be so acceptable to put on Facebook, "I am just depressed today. I feel horrible." Well. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that, that even the person who feels my mother is sad or my father is, uh, my father has died or my mother has died, yeah, it's socially acceptable to, to grieve, of course. But when I was a child, the social agreement seemed to be that if someone had lost an immediate family member, they wouldn't be themselves for a year. 
Mm-hmm. And what is not socially acceptable these days is giving yourself enough time to grieve. So I think, you know, we, we've taken this artificial line and we say if somebody cries for a certain period of time, that's healthy. But then if they cry too long after so many days, then they quote unquote should be healthier and perhaps they need treatment or they need to be taking something. And that's why the overprescription of antidepressants is such an issue. Like I said, these situations are difficult, but they're not serious mental illnesses. You should take psychotherapeutic drugs, arguably, certainly for a serious mental illness such as schizophrenia or bipolar. But people are, are being prescribed antidepressants who are just going through a tough time. You know, we, we talk about what a genius the body is, right? Well, if we think the body is such a genius, why are we doubting the body when it comes to how many tears we need to cry? If you need to cry 45 tears, who's to, who's to say that you should only cry 17? The idea of what we've come to do in our society too often now is short-circuit the grieving process. Rather than realizing, as I talk about in the book, that sometimes these sad times, these painful times in life are the things that change us ultimately in the best ways. I know in my own life, my, my times of being really deeply depressed were times when I learned some of my most valuable lessons about life and hopefully changed for the better. And how do you advise people who are going through depression right now and can't seem to move out of it? What are some of the things you would suggest? Well... I talk in the book about three basic spiritual transmissions, the transmission of Buddha, the transmission of Jesus, and the transmission of Moses. Now, those are only three, but they have in common what all the great religious and spiritual traditions have in common, and that is certain themes. And those themes lead us to take what in AA is called a fearless moral inventory. Who am I not forgiving? Where are my thoughts a deflection of love? You know, the mm-hmm. nature of our thoughts determine ultimately a nature of our, the nature of our yeah. thinking, of our mm-hmm. feeling. And I'm not being glib here. I'm not saying, oh, just think different. That's not what I'm saying at all. Because there is often some very, very deep excavation that we must make mm-hmm. through these layers of thinking that we have inherited from the society, often that we have inherited from generations in our family, and just from our own accumulated experience, which lead us to thoughts that are not loving towards ourselves or others, mm. are, are connected to thoughts that are bound to produce unhappiness. If you see yourself as a victim, you cannot be mm-hmm. happy. If you fail to forgive and you withhold forgiveness, yeah, that, you cannot be happy. That was my question. Is forgiveness a big part of this, in your opinion? Forgiveness is huge, and that's why there's a whole paragraph on it. Because happiness comes from a miraculous mindset, a miraculous, a miracle being a shift in perception from fear to love. So whenever I'm withholding love and unforgiveness is a withhold of love, I am deflecting my own capacity to be happy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like with, with, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, it's like with sickness and health. You can't just fight sickness. You have to learn to cultivate health or you will inevitably be, be mm-hmm. sick. So we can't just try to eradicate the symptoms of depression. We have to learn what it means to cultivate happy thinking. And happy thinking is not a cheap yellow smiley face. Mm-hmm. And also happy thinking is not the primary mindset of the culture in which we live. The primary mindset of the culture in which we live is that you have to figure out what would make you happy and then go for it. Mm-hmm. But Buddha said that things of the outer world can provide temporary happiness at best. 
So we have a whole culture of depression. We have a culture that says, figure out what would make you happy. And it's always the money, the job, the house, the car, the whatever outside. So half the time we're in grasping or desperate mode to get it, right, which means you can't be happy. Then you're going to be unhappy because you didn't get it or you get it and you'll be happy for what, 10, 15 minutes. Then you'll be in despair because ultimately, as Buddha said, the things of this world can only provide temporary happiness at best. So ultimately, those idols are going to crash. And on the spiritual journey, you learn that only our capacity to give and to receive love ever is the ultimate fundamental source of happiness anyway. Yeah, let me ask you this, because I, and when you said that, you said, and I've heard you say this, you know, go make it happen, and you say it sets you up for despair, but, and you say that we don't have to go make it happen, but if we're striving for something, don't we need to work toward it, Marianne? Well, that's certainly an interesting question, but let's look at this. Does the embryo have to strive to become a baby? Does the acorn have to strive to become an oak tree? Does Mm. the bud have to strive to become uh, a blossom? Look at little children. They want to read. They want to learn how to read. Teach me, teach me, read to me. Mm. They want to learn new things. It is natural. And so... If we look at striving the way our culture normally looks at it, it's like take the bull by the horns. Taking the bull by the horns is suicidal. (laughs) And much of what we call striving is that which is the stress that everybody's living with, which is a killer. There's another image. Let me ask you. Hold on, if I may just say so. There's an alternative to that. That's that angels are pushing you from behind. In the Jewish book of wisdom, it says that there's an angel over every blade of grass. Grow, 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 it says. So we don't have to strive because when we are truly in our natural state, when you make meditation and prayer and spiritual principle the guiding force in your life, you don't want to be a couch potato. You want to be creative. Yeah, I love this. And I want to ask you, what about people who let's hair in sales? Or they're going to school. So in sales, you have to make your quota. And you might not make enough this month if you don't push and try to make that quota. Or, you know, if you don't pass that test in school, you won't get through school. You won't get to be the profession you want to be. Address that because that is pushing yourself. Okay. Let's start with the sales, okay? Yeah. So, first of all, you should not be working for this company unless you believe in this product. Right. It's unethical for you to work for this company unless you believe in this product. That's number one. Number two, if you believe in this product, theoretically, it would make somebody's life better. You can enthuse about it because you honestly believe it would improve their life. Number three, when you are in an attitude of service then, you walk into that meeting with a service mentality that is a higher vibe, more powerful than a, than a sales mentality. Hey, I want you to know about this. I want you to know about all the ways. Ask me any questions, how this might improve your business, how this might improve your home, how this might make your home safer or more healthy for your children or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. If you can't naturally enthuse about the product, then you're out of your integrity to be selling it. And if you are, then enthusing about it is simply part of the creative way by which you fulfill your own dharma of contributing. And that, that's, that's the win for you already. So then the issue doesn't become whether or not they buy it. The issue becomes whether or not you are standing in the center of your own power, which is serving the light, serving love. And then guess what? Th- those who buy it, it will, it will fall together. It will fall together because people will be more apt 
to want to buy it from you. People don't respond to manipulation and exploitation, or even if they do, they will only feel resentful towards you once they realize that that's what went down, and that will actually block good energy from coming into your life. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of the, in terms of the, um, the, uh, the kid at school, the, the, the kid at school is kind of like me with a writing deadline. Yes, it's hard work, but hard work is kind of a different attitude from striving. Hard work is when, when you're in it and you're in the zone of the hard work, but it's what you love, it's kind of, it's exhilarating. Even the hard work is exhilarating. Mm-hmm. I think so. In that sense, striving is, you know, coming from that place of, 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 of like, there's this wonderful quote uh, from Van Gogh. Uh, I, I don't have it in front of me, but it's wonderful. I am in it. I'm striving with all my heart. You know, the striving of an artist, the striving of a, uh, of, to create something beautiful. That's not the kind of striving that, that creates stress and tears you down. That's the kind of natural striving that builds you up and, okay. and makes you a manifester in, 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 out yeah. of a beautiful and creative way. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're talking to Marianne Williamson, New York Times bestselling author of A Return to Love. Her new book is Tears to Triumph, The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment. This is the Patricia Raskin Show right here on voiceamerica.com. I'm Patricia Raskin. We'll be right back. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Museums are great places to work and wonderful places to visit. But are they essential? How can we improve our museum practice so that museums remain vital and essential players in society? Listen for Museum Life with host Carol Bossert, where each week we'll discuss timely and topical issues of concern to the museum community. Museum Life can be heard live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you love to travel? Now, that's a silly question, isn't it? Who doesn't love to travel? Join Lindsay T. Boyd, a.k.a. the Dreamweaver, for Travel Time. A professional travel agent, Lindsay will spotlight the world of travel, from maps and other travel tools to make your trips easier, to your rights as a passenger, to different aspects of travel, such as sports, faith, or experiential vacations. Travel Time with Lindsay T. Boyd, Dreamweaver, airs live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You 
are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone. I'm Patricia Raskin, and my guest for the whole hour is Marian Williamson. And her book is Tears to Triumph, The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment. Marian Williamson is a New York Times bestselling author of Return to Love. She's a, a spiritual master and has helped millions of people in this world to create um, love in their life. And also, as one of her books says, a return to love. Welcome back, Marianne. Thank you so All much. Right. All right, so here's my question that I want to finish with. When we were talking about the drive for success, and you said, you know, if you're doing service that, and you're doing your calling, the people will get that. Now, what if you are doing your calling, and what if you are out there doing service, but, you know, the money can be tight, or you're waiting for things to come in, and you're worried, and you're looking at the checkbook, but you know in your heart what you're doing is your life's work. How do you work with yourself? Because even though... We know it's from a higher power. We know we're doing the work in the world. There's that black and white number I'm looking at, Marianne. So how do you help yourself kind of ease into it and stop the fear of, oh, my God? (laughs) That's the question. You know, Patricia, (laughs) something has happened in our society that's very unhealthy. And that's that everybody expects to be making a living, doing their life's work in the first six months. Mm. What, what has happened to us? Get a job sometimes. Yep. I mean, I, I think of all the many things that I've done. I was, I was a temporary secretary for, while I was lecturing on A Course in Miracles for two years before I, 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 it turned into income that I could live on. I didn't even start lecturing on A Course in Miracles ever thinking it would be a way to make a living because this niche didn't even exist. So sometimes I think people feel it would somehow undercut them metaphysically or something to, I know it sounds so funny, to just get a job. I mean, sometimes, you know, in our society today, yes, I mean, we have terrible income inequality. I'm very left-wing and the systems are rigged, et cetera. Absolutely, that is correct. However, sometimes I feel people just feel it's beneath them to get something that would be a way that they could act in integrity, it's not their life's work, but they're going to do it because it will produce some money and that will put them in in better steed. You know, when I was a young person and when I think of how old, I mean, all through my 20s, certainly, but even, you know, I I got very fortunate when I started doing my course, no, wait a minute, till 35 because Mm -hmm. I started lecturing, so till till 35, but I, I didn't think it was beneath me to be receptionist or or do something that, that would be, I am here because this is the way I can exist in integrity. I can pay my bills and then other people who need me to pay them so that they can pay their bills. You are still a meaningful uh, member of society. So being an entrepreneur and having dreams for how ultimately this is going to turn into this or that is fantastic. But there is a journey to that. And sometimes yes. in America today, people want to go from A to Z. And, right you know, the steps along the way are a part of what teach us, too. Yeah, very good. 
All right, let's go it into... It is good, isn't it, Patricia? I mean, seriously, as, as people who are of a certain age, you know, we, we're old enough to we remember when people didn't look down on just working. Not all work is something that you necessarily get up that day and feel like doing, but if you can be of service and you're living in integrity, mm-hmm. that, gives it, that gives it beauty right there. It gives it honor. And, and, and sometimes, Marianne, there is a gap. Sometimes you are doing your work and you have paid your dues and you've been doing it for a while and maybe you've had a setback or you're building back up and, and it isn't there the exactly. way it was. So, but you have to believe. And I think sometimes that's where, you know, you need that unwavering faith that it, that it will well, work. Well, I don't think, I, I, to me, faith doesn't mean that this particular business is going to work out. I'm sorry. I think sometimes, and I think some people are kind of surprised when I say this, sometimes you don't need to believe so much as you need to work. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, a lot of people in history, including now, are living their dreams, making it all happen, but there's several hours during the day when they're going to another job, too. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't buy into this. I just have to believe, because then people are really set up for failure if that particular work thing doesn't work out. There is no guarantee that this particular business is going to make it. But there's a guarantee that your, your ministry, your love is going to in some form make it. That, that is guaranteed. But sometimes the things that we learn in life, doing the things that we don't think of as our life work, are lessons that we need to learn and skills we need to hone that ultimately we will need to have in order to succeed at what we think of as our life's work. Yeah, important. Too many right. people in today's society do not, will, not get their, will not get dirt under their fingernails. And what a lot of people have this, this inflated idea of what success looks like. You know what success looks like? The people at the top, they're working hard. Yes. That's what success looks like. They're working hard. <laughs> you know, many people, so it, it's not like you ever stop getting dirt under, under your fingernails. And, and I know in my life, it has actually totally served me that no one has worked for me that, whose job I haven't done. Yes, that's important, too, because then you know how to do it. You know how to do everything. And, and you, you have an to, understanding. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. So we exactly. shouldn't be so precious these days about living your life's calling and it will all work. And I just think we have to have a much more down-to-earth conversation about what it all looks like, which doesn't make it less beautiful. I think it actually makes it more beautiful. Mm. Yeah, it like, makes um, the journey less desperate. Because you don't need this particular thing to necessarily work out, you, but you know that you're going, the, 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 the reward and the success is in the passion with which you do it. Mm-hmm. You never have a guarantee that any one particular book is going to be a bestseller. You have no particular guarantee that one, you know, I ran for Congress. You don't have a guarantee that the outcome is going to be a certain way. What you can guarantee is that you will be in it with all your heart. Mm-hmm. That's the reward right there. And on a certain level, that is the success. Mm-hmm. Love this. All right, I want to I want to go back to your book, Tears to Triumph, where you talk about suffering, and you talk about that it's important to be available to suffering in term in, instead of suppressing and numbing it, because so many people do that. We don't like to feel the pain, so we numb it, whether it's a drug or whether it's alcohol or or drugs or sex or you know or or whatever it is that we do. Well, there comes a time in life where you're aware that those things won't fix it. You know, they give you temporary relief from existential pain. And and if you go there, that's fine. But that's not going to ultimately 
rid you of the pain. And once you know that, and the, the, the parallel to that is that you know that there's nothing out there that's going to fix it either. You know, I was walking down the street the other day in a very fancy neighborhood in New York with all these beautiful dresses in the window. And I remember a time when I thought one of those would fix something. <laughs> you know, it's not that they're not beautiful, <clears throat> not that I, I wouldn't like to have one, but neither do I. I have a very different perspective. It's, I don't have any illusion it's going to fix anything. So once you become clearer in life where the real fix is, which is working through your issues and, you know, distracting yourself from it, putting it off another day, isn't going to do anything other than exacerbate the problem. So you may as well go for it. And that means, where did I mess up? Where do I have to look at it? Where do I have to face what I did that I shouldn't have done? Where do I have to face what I didn't do that I should have done? Where do I have to atone and really come clean with God? Where do I have to apologize to anybody else and make amends? Where do I have to, in order to be in integrity and act impeccably, make this right? If I owe $25,000, well, and I can only pay $25, get on that payment plan now. There's no debtor's prison. Clean it up. Where do I have to forgive somebody else? Where do I have to face that if I hold on to this, I will be a bitter person? And if I don't take this hook out of them, the hook will never be out of me. I, will, I can be bitter or I can be better. So where do I have to say, dear God, help me see this differently so I can forgive this person? Where am I holding on to the past and not letting the future renew itself? Where am I holding on to the future and not letting myself be present in this moment? And where am I not letting myself just cry and grieve because someone I know loved and knowing that this too shall pass? Mm, Those I want to are read... all activities of the inner domain. Yeah. And there's nothing to be afraid of about going there. What we should be afraid of is resisting that domain. Because within that domain, the psyche knows how to heal itself. And if we don't dwell in those waters, we will not heal and we will not go forward in life. I want to read something in your book that speaks to what you're just saying. You say, we are not machines, we are human beings. And when we're grieving, we're moving through a profound and significant experience. A sorrowful time can be a sacred time. Respecting the heart when we're in pain, seeking to walk through the experience very close to God, doesn't make us less sad. It makes our sadness begin to make sense. Yes. Yeah. It's like grieving someone that you love who died, you know. It, it, this uh, spiritual perspective doesn't take your sadness away, but it takes away the barbed wire around your sadness mm. that you have if you, if you don't have faith in the eternal nature of life. That's what a spiritual world gives, worldview gives you. Spiritual worldview reveals that the body is like a suit of clothes. And death is not the end of life. It's just the death of this physical incarnation. And whom God hath brought together, no one and nothing can put asunder, not even death. So I've lost my parents. I've lost my sister. I've lost my best friend. And my sadness is tempered by the fact that I believe I will see them again and by the Mm. fact that I believe that they are here. They're just broadcasting in another dimension. Mm. Um, What about someone Different sadness. I'm sorry? What about um, someone who's uh, hurt you where killed someone or, you know, maimed someone and you really didn't have anything to do with that? I mean, you weren't part of that. But how do you, how do you work through that kind of incredible, um, not just sadness, but anger and, and um, how do you work through something like that? That's well, first of all, situations like that are full tilt, full tilt catastrophe. 
mm-hmm. and I'm in no way being glib about this. Um, I actually talk in my book about a friend of mine named Maurice, uh, Teresa, whose son was murdered. Um, mm-hmm. There was a man named uh, Azim Kamisa, K-H-A-M-I-S-A, whose son was murdered, who has written extraordinary uh, talks, uh, books about this topic and forgiveness. His, um, his son was killed, his 17-year-old son was in college, and he was, doing, he was uh, doing pizza delivery because his father thought he should have a part-time job, you know, to have that going on as well. He went to deliver a pizza, and he was murdered as part of a gang initiation. Mm. And Azim is a, is, was a religious Sufi, <clears throat> and his spiritual um, advisor told him that he would have to do good works for his son's sake to help his son move through his journey on the other side. And shortly after that time, Azim was watching television, um, a television newscast about his son's murder. And he saw that the son, that the murderer himself, who was also a young boy, had only recently moved to live with his grandfather. And that the grandfather was a Purple Heart from Vietnam, and he himself, I think, was a social worker. Mm. And Azim noticed that this grandfather was a really cool guy. And he reached out to him, and he came to realize that the murderer was a victim also, the home that he had grown up in. And Azim it would, has actually became best friends with the grandfather. They're best friends to this day. They go around schools talking to young kids about violence and not having guns. Yeah. And so I have told the story of Teresa in the book. I've written about Azim in other books. There are extraordinary examples. Dick Gayton is another one. There are extraordinary examples of people who have worked at just the very horrible, catastrophic torment that you just mentioned Mm -hmm. in a sacred way and have spoken in ways way more eloquently than I could about the transformation of their suffering. Wow. All right. And on that note, on that note, we're going to take a break. Thank you, Marianne. Very enlightening. Uh, I'm talking to Marianne Williamson, New York Times bestselling author of A Return to Love. Her brand new book, Tears to Triumph, The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment. Marianne Williamson is an internationally acclaimed author, speaker, and activist. And when we come back, I'm going to ask Marianne about... Oh, the rhetoric that we're hearing in the campaigns, Um, a lot of defamation of character, a lot of um, just very negative language that's hurtful, and sometimes more that than proactive, positive things that in ways that uh, will help us. So I'm going to ask her opinion right after the break. You're listening to The Patricia Raskin Show right here on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice, and we will be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. are listening to the patricia raskin show if you wish to call into our program today please call 1-866-472-5788 that number again is 1-866-472-5788 you may also send an email to patricia at patriciaraskin.com now back to the patricia raskin show Hello, everyone. This is Patricia Raskin. I'm very honored to have the opportunity to interview Marianne Williamson. I've had her on my program before, and she's really an amazing spiritual teacher. She's a New York Times bestselling author of A Return to Love. She's an acclaimed author, speaker, and activist. Six of her ten published books have been New York Times bestsellers. Her new book is Tears to Triumph, The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment. Welcome back, Marianne. Thank you. Oh, okay. So here's the big question that I, was, I uh, talked about before the break. I've been watching the conventions very eagerly and with apt attention. And one of the things that bothered me, in one convention more than another, which I will not say which one, um, one candidate... I'm sure it will be obvious, Patricia. Right. Well, one candidate <laughs> spent the entire 15 minutes completely bashing it wasn't the candidate it was someone for the candidate bashing the opposite party and that's all they talked about there wasn't one word about what their party would do to help the country it was just um really very defaming and then on the other side there was some of that too not to the degree but there was still some of that and you know i don't think this is helping marianne i don't think this is going to help one person get in over the other please address that from your point of view Well, first of all, this is a political contest, so it's not completely inappropriate that you criticize the policies of the other person. I mean, that's not inappropriate for the Democrats to mention that that they don't think Trump should be president or for Trump to mention that Hillary shouldn't be president. So to a certain extent, you know, like when Trump said, I I would have thought they either wouldn't mention me or mention me with respect. I don't know what planet he's on on a lot of issues, but even that one. I mean, this is a political debate everybody this is a political contest having said that when you go over the line is when you like you said spend 15 minutes with lines like lock her up or or whatever things that are really dangerous so um to a certain extent criticizing your opponent is kind of that's hello it's a political contest hello 
But when it goes over a line and actually harnesses very, very, truly dark and dangerous energies among among the population, uh, that can be dangerous. And I, you know, I remember a time in America. I lived through it, and I think you did too, Patricia. Where, you know, people were assassinated and all of that. You know, this is we have to be very, very careful. And there is too much. There's too much hate being thrown around. And I, I feel it like on my Facebook page, I feel it from the right because I support Hillary and I feel it from the left because I support Hillary. I mean, it's like, exactly. you know, I was a Bernie Sanders supporter and I, um, I, now I'm, I'm very concerned about the state of our democracy if it's put into the hands of someone who I feel um, is a bigot and is a racist and does not respect religious freedom, democracy, etc. It is not negative to say any of that. That's the point. This is political season. Liberty does not mean we all have to agree with each other. But we need to express our opinions in a way, number one, where other people don't come at us, how dare we? Like, hello, what do you mean, how dare we? We're all citizens. But also in a way that doesn't um, say such hateful things about the other. Now, when the, what I noticed today is like when I said what I just said about my beliefs about Mr. Trump, people say, well, that was a hateful thing to say. No, it wasn't. It, to, to, to say things, that if, if you think someone right. is truly dangerous for your country... It is not hateful to say yeah, that. Yeah, but that's not character assassination, which is That what, is not character different. assassination. Exactly. exactly. That's pointing out exactly. And that's right. exactly the point. There's a difference between, um, between a sense of real danger and pointing that out and character assassination. You are absolutely correct. And you'll notice that the character assassination is usually done when someone doesn't have anything positive as a solution for what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. You know, something I have to say when you were saying that, when Trump said, you know, why didn't Hillary recognize me um, for, for what? Uh, you know what I felt like saying? Respect. Right. I felt like saying, well, why didn't you recognize her for being the first woman candidate in this country to be nominated? Right? Yeah, but I don't think that that's his no? job to do. You know, no, he's running against her. I mean, you know, that, that, I, I, you know, I, I didn't expect him to, you know, just be lauding her. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't expect that. But I, I do. Uh, there is a certain spectrum of civil discourse, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which we seem to have lost respect for and sight of in this country. And, and that's not just unfortunate. It's, it's potentially dangerous. And I think with this, with this campaign, all of us need to just let it down a notch, let it down a notch. You know, two of my close girlfriends are right-wing Republicans. I am not. One of them is voting for Trump, and one of them is disturbed in her heart about him and hasn't decided that she certainly won't vote for Hillary. I don't love either of these women any less, Mm -hmm. and I don't feel loved by them any less Mm -hmm. because I'm a Democrat. I mean, come on, everybody. Like, hello. Everybody step back a little bit here. Um, yeah, I know I th- friends. I think who all talk of us to need to other. just really lighten You're up right. a bit here. You're right. I know. I mean, I have friends that have written even on Facebook. I I've lost friendships because they are one party and I'm the other, and I can't believe they would vote for that person. You're right. I, I know. Mean, I all these people yeah. on Facebook say I've lost all respect for you, Marianne. <laughs> Why? Because I don't agree with you politically. It's just, yeah. We should just have respect for other people because they deserve right. respect and because so, we're all citizens and have a right to our opinion. Right. So then the question becomes. How do we take this fear, which all of this is promoting? I mean, people are scared. What would you say to, to us, to the American people? You know, how do we temper this with some love and get away from this, this fear? People are afraid. Well, 
where there is love, there cannot be fear. Just as where there is light, there cannot be darkness. Most of the people who are, first of all, I do think it's appropriate to be deeply concerned. Yes. So the fact that people are very disturbed and very concerned is appropriate. It means they're grown up. If you're not con- deeply concerned, then I'm wondering about you. People, there, it is appropriate to be deeply concerned right now. This is a concerning moment. But if you were working hard for the candidate that you believe would be the best, then you wouldn't be wallowing in your concern because you would be actively working at making it different. So if you're afraid, get to work. Call the, call the headquarters, get online. How can you, you know, uh, in the book of Isaiah where it says, um, use your trumpet. Your trumpet is your Facebook page, your, your Twitter, your, your, any way that you can. Not necessarily. I think that in today's climate, my sense of this election is the people who know they're going to vote a certain way, it's almost like, don't bother, we only have 99 days. Exactly. But to people yeah. who think there's no difference between the two or who aren't going to vote, get on it and start talking to them. And that's what you do with your fear. You act like an adult. You, 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 hope is born of participation in hopeful solutions. And everyone should be, in whatever way it means to them, be very involved in creating the hopeful solution in the form of whatever candidate you think is best. And this purity thing has got to go of, well, none of the, neither of them are perfect, so I'm going to blank, blank, blank. You know, there's a lot of grow up on that one because you have to have just come to politics like in the last six months right. to think that it that that it's some black and white thing. Um, and, and your I vote matters. Everyone's vote yeah. matters. Yeah, and also that 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 you know you're not going to necessarily get perfect, but you do what is best for this moment and you keep working. Yeah. And didn't you run for office, or weren't you I going did. to? I absolutely did. I, I ran for Congress in 2014. Uh, I don't see myself doing that again, but I tell you, with what's going on this year, if I hadn't already done it, I'd probably be planning to do it now. But that, what did you, what did you learn there, from that, Marianne? Me. What was the greatest lesson from that? From oh, that? you know, it was the most exhilarating experience of my life, but also the most brutal experience of my life. Um, what I learned from it was that knowing the issues is not enough. Um, what I learned mm-hmm. from it is having, um, having money. Um, because the community was very generous with me. People did spend money. We raised enough money. Neither one of those is enough. You have to know about the inner workings of a political campaign Mm. and how to do it. And my lack of experience and understanding on that level, it was extremely naive of me to think that that didn't matter. That's what I learned. Mm, Amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's, it's, um, it's, also, um, you know, I, I said to a guest on my show who is a political science uh, professor, I said to him, you know, if this, what I want to know is, if we are by the people, for the people, and of the people, people, how come we have two candidates that most people don't like? And then he talked about how it's not about the people, there are other people deciding, right? There are so many other factors involved that... that <clears throat> well, it's not a happen. mystery here, <clears throat> especially since the Citizens United decision, money has such an undue influence mm-hmm. over our political functioning. We're not actually functioning right now as of the people, by the people, and for the people. We're functioning for, for the benefit of a few of the people, by a few of the people, and for a few of the people. Mm-hmm. And we have this stranglehold of two major political parties, which did not used to exist. 
Abolition came from the Abolitionist Party. Social Security came from the Socialist Party. Women's suffrage came from the Suffragette Party. So this is why getting the money out of politics, none of that's going to change until we get the money out of politics, until we override Citizens United. And one thing Hillary Clinton has put in her platform is that in the, within 100 days, she would submit a constitutional amendment to override Citizens United. So this is not a mystery where all this comes from. We have taken the resources of this country and systematically moved them into the hands of a very few people. And it's a large matrix of multinational corporatocracy. And these are too often their candidates. And the American people, if we want our country um, back to, to course correct on this, we must get the money out of politics. And for that, you might want to think about voting for the one who stands for that. All right. Oh, okay. We're going to take a break. And when we come back in our final segment for today with Marianne Williamson, the author of Tears to Triumph, The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment. Marianne Williamson is an internationally acclaimed author, speaker, and activist. And six of her ten published books have been New York Times bestsellers. Very honored to have her on today. You're listening to The Patricia Raskin Show right here on voiceamerica.com. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. You've heard of good things coming in packages. Well, maybe there's a little more to that saying. But when you think about it, packaging is one of the most important things that can represent your business. Tune into Ditch the Box with host David Marinak. Each week, we'll discuss flexible packaging, marketing, sales, and how it all comes together in one container. Lower costs, increased margins. Listen to the show. It might just save you a ton. Ditch the Box is heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You 
are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back. My guest is Marianne Williamson. She's a New York Times bestselling author of A Return to Love. She is an internationally acclaimed author, speaker, and activist. Her book is Tears to Triumph, The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment. Welcome back, Marianne. Oh, thank you so much. All right. So your book um, is now, this book, Tears to Triumph, is on the New York Times bestsellers list. So it's reaching a lot of people. It's finding its niche. How do you think your book can help people? Well, you know, so many people have told me since the book came out that that's true, you know, my divorce or that period of my life or this period of my life did turn out to be really something transformational. And I think that when we have, I think a lot of people have expressed it to me about the book, that they feel affirmed that their grief was meaningful in their life and that it shouldn't be something to make wrong. You know, this idea of making our, our sadness wrong, even making our depression wrong or jumping mm-hmm. to this idea that, you know, it's dangerous. I mean, the FDA has issued a black box warning that for people 25 years old and younger, antidepressants actually increase rather than decrease the risk of suicidal ideation. So we must that. have an alternative to this medical model for depression and, and despair over situations that are depressing. And one of the problems is if you desensitize yourself to your own pain, you're more likely to desensitize yourself to the pain of others. And that's, that's never good. You'll only create more suffering. I remember thinking during the run-up to the Iraq War, that too many people were acquiescing. Too many people didn't seem to be really considering what this would mean to thousands and thousands of people who had not done anything to us. And we were going to drop bombs and fire on their homes and on their husbands and wives and children and lovers and friends. And them, like, why? Well, he might have weapons of mass destruction. We do business every day with people who have weapons of mass destruction. So this, this desensitization that we've had to the suffering of other people this is not good for any of us. And also, I think that when you have suffered, it gives you an x-ray vision into the suffering of others. I think it's because I've suffered as much as I have in my life that I can't look at something like that without considering the suffering it would bring on other people. So I, I know in my own life, without my, my fuller, deeper, more spiritual embrace of a meaning in suffering that we can become wiser people, we can become even closer to God. Because if God is with us at any times, he's with us in the dark times. And if you don't learn how to navigate the turbulent waters of life, you don't learn how to navigate life. So I I think that for us to have a, a different conversation about the sad times in life is a deeper conversation about life itself. And I, I, I'm, I'm glad that people have, have, have felt that from the book, and I hope that it will find its way into the hands of anyone who could be helped further by it. Thank you. Can you uh, t- give us a few um, tips about meditation, being quiet, going inside, how we can work in that way? Well, first of all, you need a technique, you know, All meditation is relaxation, but not all relaxation is meditation. 
I'm a student of A Course in Miracles. There's a 365 basically meditation path of exercises. I do transcendental meditation. Um, but there are other forms as well. There's Buddhist meditation. There's Kabbalistic meditation. There's mystical Christian meditation. So living in today's world, you know, it's only a Google away, you know, a, a class or a, a something, a tape, something, mine or gazillion others that people have. But to actually know that at least five minutes spent every morning in that depth of quiet and realignment with the sacred within us. It's just like you do physical exercise to hone your physical muscles. You do internal spiritual exercise like meditation to hone your ability to remain still and non-reactive and in touch with your own deep wisdom rather than spinning out, which is so easy to do in the world today. So important. All right, how can people find you? I know you're now in New York, and you actually, if people live in the New York area, they can come yes, to I, if, classes. Yeah, Go ahead. I, I lecture every week in New York, but they're also live-streamed, and they're live-streamed for free for anybody who wants to watch them throughout the world. So uh, if you go to Marianne.com, M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E.com, um, you can find out all the information, get on my email list, and find out if I'm coming to your neighborhood, and all kinds of things, online courses and things I'm doing and, you know, anything that, that might be helpful to you on your journey. If, I've, if, if I have something to contribute, then makes me happy. I hope it makes you happy also. That's wonderful. And, and talk about these, the, um, the Wednesday night events that you have in the city. Well, here in New York, it's at Middle Collegiate Church, and that is at 2nd Avenue between 6th and 7th. And uh, that is at 7.30 p.m. East Coast time. They're live streamed, and the, the free live stream stays up for three days, or people can get a subscription so that they have the permanent download. Um, all that's available on Marianne.com. And there's a talk, and then there's a Q&A, and we talk about everything. We talk about everything from intimate relationships to politics to um, how to forgive to you know, whatever other issue people are going through in their work life or um, anything going on in the world, people can bring their questions. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a meaningful, I think of it as sanitary, you know, it means sanity, sanity headquarters. We need a sanity headquarters in our lives uh, oh. these days. And uh, right. that's what Thank our you. spiritual journey can be, a place where we can retreat from the craziness of the world yeah. and our hearts and our nervous systems be healed so that when we go back out into the world, we are not so at the effect of the world's craziness, and we can even be of use in the world's healing. That's the goal. Oh, Marianne, it's been an honor, a pleasure, a delight, and an inspiration to have you on this program today. <laughs> well, thank you. All it's been it. an honor to be on your program, and I wish you the very best, and I acknowledge you, and, and um, thank you for holding a conversation about things that matter. Thank you so much. And I just want to let people know they can find you, Marianne.com, M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E, Marianne Williamson, her newest book, Tears to Triumph, The Spiritual Journey from Suffering to Enlightenment. Um, thank you again, Marianne, for being on the program. Thank you. Thanks. Stay on the line for a minute. All right, folks, that wraps up this edition of the Patricia Raskin Show right here on voiceamerica.com. And this interview is archived on voiceamerica.com. And you can also log on to my website or to Marianne's website as well, marianne.com. Until next time, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. I'm Patricia Raskin. 
Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of The Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week. We'll be right back.